Talk Live. Welcome back to Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, continuing our conversations about freedom in so many different facets. You can find Liberty Conspiracy online Monday through Friday, starting at 6 o'clock Eastern Time on Rumble and Rockfin. You can join the chat there, or you can listen and watch at my Twitter feed, which is at Gard Goldsmith. That's G-A-R-D Goldsmith. And, of course, you can always find the show after the fact at Rockfin and at Rumble. And I really hope that you like what you're hearing and that you'll find us over there. And join us live or after the fact. The United States government's involvement around the world is not just its own involvement. It's the funneling of weapons and it's the utter hypocrisy that has come around from the United States for so long. Let me give you this little sign of something here. Check this out. Remember when Geraldo interviewed Lieutenant Colonel Brian Christmas, I wrote, in Afghanistan, poppy fields? The U.S. government claimed that they had to guard the poppies. Now, the Taliban has taken down the fields. Myanmar becomes the world's biggest producer of opium is the headline of this Guardian piece. How shocking. Yeah, Afghanistan production has dropped 95%, according to a UN report. The legacy of the United States in Afghanistan not only is leaving all sorts of weapons there that have been spread all over the world, sort of like a gun-running campaign that might have been done under Eric Holder and the idea inspired during the W administration, otherwise known as Fast and Furious. Not only did they leave all that military equipment there, they also left the Taliban and they said years ago, we were told that the United States government had to guard the poppy crop so that the locals wouldn't be overrun by the Taliban and see the Taliban take over this drug trade. It had to be done for the locals because the Taliban would take over and just take this incredible money-making machine. Well, that isn't exactly what happened. Those Americans who told us that they had to engage in this not war, but it's pretty much war without any declaration, completely unconstitutional, contrary to the Geneva Conventions, this occupation of Afghanistan for two decades. The people who told us that they had to guard the poppy crops also were the same people who told us that there had to be a so-called war on drugs in the United States. And, of course, who then saw the Afghan region become not just the world's leader in opium production, which it already was at 90% of the world's opium production, it rose to 97% of the world's opium production during the United States occupation. So here's the story about now Myanmar replacing it. How can that be? I thought if the United States left, the Taliban would take over and start producing all that opium and turning it into heroin and spreading it all around the world. And then, of course, the United States really would be engaging in its war on us and its continued war on drugs domestically as it seized people's property, as it broke the Fourth Amendment and did all sorts of other things. Well, according to AFP Images and The Guardian, Myanmar became the world's biggest producer of opium in 2023. Well, there's still a few weeks left, overtaking Afghanistan after the Taliban government's 
crackdown on the trade, according to a United Nations report. Uh, wait a minute. I thought for sure that that, uh, we could, uh, that doesn't make any sense. How is that possible? Surely we already know that the United States government was involved with stopping the uh, Taliban from taking that over, right? Wasn't that case? I thought that was the case. I thought for sure we, you know, we had the United States government stopping the Taliban from taking over. I I remember because it was um, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Christmas who talked to Tucker Carlson all about that. You remember that, right? Well, if you follow my Twitter feed and you'll find all this news on my Twitter feed, you will see the link to the original story. Here it is at YouTube. We provide them security. Here is Tucker Carlson. And by the way, Clayton Morris, I've shown this before in the program, Clayton Morris will be appearing from Redacted in a segment that I've recorded for this show. Great stuff from Clayton Morris. He and Natalie Morris now are the hosts of Redacted. Clayton used to be on Fox. And if you go earlier in this uh, segment, you'll see Clayton right over here. There's Clayton early in his days at Fox. There's Allison Camerata, who's now over what? It's CNN. But here we go. Geraldo reporting live uh, from Afghanistan as we get to hear about him hanging out with some really, really good guys, as he describes them. Troops, you know, guarding the opium. Addicted to opium in many, many ways. That is the principal crop that is being grown here. Uh, the Taliban lend the farmers the money. They are indebted to the Taliban. They have to grow the opium. Now the Marines in their success are, in a sense, a victim of their success because now the population... So that's what Geraldo reported. That's what the government told him. He went there. He got the government line. Oh, the Taliban lend the locals the money. And so the Taliban, they have to continue supplying the drugs to the Taliban. And if the United States government doesn't doesn't watch this area and guard this area of the, of the poppies, then the Taliban will just take it. Really? is, uh, you know, they have these opium fields and we are tolerating it. We are tolerating the cultivation of the opium because we know that if we were to destroy it now, the population would turn against the Marines and it would be a real security risk. Let me introduce Lieutenant Colonel Brian Christmas. He's the commanding officer of the 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines. Uh, really a, a wonderful group of uh, Marines here. Uh, I know that you care deeply about this, uh, this contradiction, the fact that uh, here you have one of the best fighting forces in the world ever mounted. Uh, and in a sense, uh, you're watching as uh, this opium is being grown. I know it, it grinds at your gut. Uh, how do you deal with it? What are you doing about it? Well, uh, frankly, this is part of the culture. So, uh, well-, well, it's not part of the culture now there, buddy. No, nah, it's not part of the culture now. Strangely, the Taliban destroyed all that. Now, whether or not one thinks that that's a positive or a negative for the people there, as a freedom lover, I believe that it's probably really bad to engage in aggression against other people. There's a demand for the poppies. There's a demand for the opium. There's a demand for the heroin. And, of course, that demand is manipulated and warped because of government intervention. We don't know what the natural demand would be. 
We don't know how bad, how good things would be for people in the area if they wanted to grow other crops, if the British Empire had not existed, if all of that stuff going back to the Silk Road had not brought in opium hundreds of years ago. We don't know. But we can tell that the United States line about the Taliban taking over and getting all the money from these things was utter garbage. Because when the Taliban did take over, they did exactly the opposite of what the United States government said the Taliban threatened to do as the rationale for the United States government supposedly guarding the poppy crops. So there you go, folks. As we head into 2024, congratulations, Myanmar. You are the world's top producer of opium. Yes, indeed. Enjoy your stay. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And you know, folks, we have to make sure that we remind people on this uh, this war front that there are other stories in addition to this one. So let's get right to them. Yes, Zelensky. Zelensky coming to the United States. Let's check out some of the uh, the great action from Zelensky. But first, let's make sure that as we go through the program tonight, No, we're not sponsored by any opium producers. However, I want you, I want to be careful because, you know, I mentioned Iraq before. And, you know, that embargo on Iraq, that was brought about by the Clinton administration. And I know that sometimes people kind of worry. They say, oh, you know, can I be critical of the Clintons or will I end up, you know, with my head smashed in on some railroad tracks in Arkansas? Or will I be rolled up in a carpet somewhere in Fort Marcy Park? Or, you know, I don't know, like on a plane somewhere in the Baltic region, you know, and all of a sudden just plane flies into a, you know, that sort of thing. So I just want to mention, you know, to any of you folks who are uh, watching the show, you know, don't worry about you. I'm sure the Clintons are very peaceful people. They, they're not going to go after you. Everything's cool. And the military industrial complex is totally cool. They're, they're totally fine. In fact, I kind of indemnified our show because I've become so cozy with the military industrial complex. And, and we have another new advertiser on the show. This one, I think, is going to totally insulate us from any sort of threats to our lives any sort of invasions of our privacy, seizures of our bank accounts, threats to our friends and neighbors and family members or businesses or anything like that. I think we're totally insulated now, thanks to this new advertiser. So let's go to our advertiser guy, our advertiser announcer guy, and find out what we've got when we look at all the great advertisers with our show. Hey, advertiser guy, what's going on? Well, Gar, thank you very much. It's great to be back on the show. And yes, we want to thank all our sponsors for Liberty Conspiracy. Remember, folks, Arm & Hammer Baking Soda. Arm & Hammer, when you just can't, stop the hammering. We're also brought to you by Gorilla Glue, the original Gorilla Glue. Bonds virtually everything, including... Stupid people to the floors of Porsche Volkswagen display shops. Yes, Gorilla Glue. Have a great time. Yeah, and don't forget, 
Bring that potty. <laughs> also brought to you by BAE Systems. BAE Systems. Bond almost everything. You got to make sure if you can't bond with it, you've got to bomb it. BAE Systems. Also brought to you by Mr. Raytheon himself. Dun, 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 Lloyd Austin. Lloyd Austin. Yes, what else are you going to do when you can't stay at Raytheon all the time but work for the government and promote Raytheon? Raytheon, United Technologies, and Lloyd Austin working for you to go bankrupt. And brought to you by Lockheed Martin and its weird Illuminati symbols, as well as Boeing and a wonderful, very nice woman who doesn't want you censored in any way, Nikki Haley. Boeing and Nikki Haley. And by the way, when we talk about Illuminati symbols, pay no attention to that symbol behind the curtain. Boeing, bombing and bombing for years and years. And now we're also brought to you by the product of Boeing. You got it. That's right. Drones. Hey, they're not just for beehives anymore. And brought to you by Coca-Cola. Hunter Biden's favorite, have a Coke and a white-lipped smile. And brought to you by Parmesan cheese. Parmesan cheese, when you just can't get enough off the floor and suck it up and smoke it. Parmesan cheese from Kraft. And now, guard. Guard? Oh, yeah, announcer guy. What's going on? What's what's happening, announcer guy? We got a, We have our new, our new advertiser, right? That's right, guard. Our new advertiser is with us. It's Ron Brown Airlines. Yes, Ron Brown Airlines. When you run into some problems with the Clintons, hop on Ron Brown Airlines, and they'll bring you right down to the ground. Ron Brown Airlines, back to you, guard. Hey, that's that's pretty good. Boy, we must be making a lot of money with Ron Brown Airlines. That's That's excellent stuff. Are they paying us a lot there, ad voice guy? I hope we're getting a lot of money because I want to make sure I give you a raise. Are we getting a lot from Ron Brown Airlines? Absolutely, guard. Ron Brown Airlines is just getting off the ground. Well, actually, they're never getting off the ground. But they're going to give us a lot of money to promote them because that's the way most government schemes go. Back to you, guard. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks so much, ad guy. Boy, it's really good to have that new advertiser. Hey, by the way... Remember yesterday how I said that uh, we got to make sure we have to make sure that we fall in line with a lot of the pop media and a lot of the uh, big politicians in Washington and make sure that Ukraine gets all the weapons and all the, you know, it, it's got to get, get everything. Every, every possible, you know, all our advertisers are telling me that that's very important. Well, let's take a look at Zelensky's visit. And remember some of the rhetoric that was given to us before Zelensky completed all his rounds in the United States. Okay. He was down in Venezuela, uh, down in Argentina. And that was very exciting. He was hanging out with, uh, Malay. And that's, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but, uh, Javier, yeah, he's, he's, uh, in his first week, he's not uh, impressing a lot of libertarians, but, even remember, they they were telling us this new line that if Putin's not stopped, he's going to leapfrog right across Europe. He's going to walk. He's going to march across Europe, 
I mean, he is he's going to just stroll right across Europe because he's got very strong legs. He's got a lot of stamina. You know, he's a, he's pretty fit, right? So probably just walk right across Europe, you know, swim across the English Channel, take over England, probably. You know, you know how that goes, right? Get some fish and chips because that's always big. And then he'll just jump right over the United States if he's not stopped in Ukraine. He's just going to keep expanding. And God knows it would be terrible if some really well-armed nation state pushed for expansion of its hegemony all around the world. I mean, that would just be, you know, and then he could come and take over the United States. And as I mentioned yesterday, imagine, imagine Putin, Putin taking over the United States. He'd be silencing speech and having the government work with special interests to silence speech. He'd be funneling money to all these different corporate crony gangster interests and stuff for things that we didn't even want. He'd probably be setting up military bases all around the world. We can't have that. We can't have Putin running our lives. We got to be free. There you go. And let's hear what I, I'm totally in line with the warnings of this guy right here. Let's check out this dude because he knows exactly how things are going to go if we are not forced by guys like him to give more weapons to Zelensky. Here's Chuck Schumer, and I think he lays it out pretty darn well. He makes a lot of sense. If there's anyone inspired by unresolved issues on Capitol Hill, it is just Putin and his sick clique. Okay, Putin and his sick clique. Hmm, that's very interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Just Putin and his sick clique. Well, you know, I want to turn to, uh, I think Russell Brand did a pretty good job on this. Let me find Russell here and see if I've got this covered correctly. Yes, I do. I do. I do. Let's hear some more about the narrative that if Ukraine doesn't get more, and by the way, it's not $100 billion. It's more like $130 billion, or in fact, you'll probably hear uh, Clayton Morris mention it up, it's really upwards of $200 billion that the United States government, which is you know bankrupt, has given to Ukraine. But let's check out Russell Brand from today, because he brings some smiles at the same time. It, he just, he hears the balderdash, and he too is just completely like stunned. Check it out. He can't, it's 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 wonderful sometimes when you hear people and they're just reacting in certain ways where they just say, I, I just can't believe I'm I'm seeing and hearing what I'm seeing and hearing. Well, now, because there's a bit more opposition and a recent attempt to get $108 billion failed, you'll see more and more media saying, if we do not win this war against Russia, or if Ukraine don't, sorry, I don't know why I said we, if Ukraine don't win, Ukraine, not we, Ukraine, don't win that war against Russia, Putin will start invading, I don't know, Finland and other NATO members, but... Is Ukraine really a democracy as we understand democracy anyway? And is there a set of other reasons for perpetuating this war? And now that people are opposing the war, whether that's within the institutions of American politics or in the public at large, are they escalating the threat? You have to stop Putin now. He's going to invade somewhere else. He doesn't seem to be doing that. I mean, he's never invaded anywhere, has he? Except Ukraine, which he said he would do if you tried to get him in NATO. Let's have a look at it. Try and understand it a little better ourselves, because I'll tell you, won't tell you the truth. Joe Biden and the legacy media. Let's get into it. Breaking news, Senate Republicans blocking a bill that includes billions of dollars in aid for Israel and Ukraine. 
despite dire warnings from the administration that U.S. funding for Ukraine will run out in a matter of weeks. President Biden tonight also warning, quote, we can't let Putin win. Can't let him win, can't let him win. And what the hell is that program going to be with Anthony Blinken and King Charles? King <laughs> Charles and Anthony Blinken? Don't watch that. I believe that any member of Congress who does not support funding for Ukraine is voting for an outcome that will make it easier for Putin to prevail. Do you see what democracy is here now, in our countries? Democracy is, do as we tell you, otherwise you're not democratic. But isn't democracy the freedom to choose via the ballot or other means what political outcomes ought be? No, it's do what we tell you, otherwise Putin. That's democracy. That is, a vote against supporting Ukraine is a vote to improve Putin's strategic position. That's just an inescapable reality. It's inescapable. We can't escape that reality. Not by going off the planet, not by setting up some sort of colony under the sea. Under the sea. (laughs) There is no escape from that reality. But actually, you would have to say, what's democracy like in your country lately? For example, did you get to vote on any of these wars that are going on right now? And what's democracy like in the Ukraine right now? I.e., is it a representation of the kind of liberal democratic values that we sort of all generally understand, i.e. assemblies and councils and judiciary and people voting for X and Y or whatever. Is that what's happening? Or are we in some sort of weird crisis time where the word democracy just means centralised, homogenised administration that basically prohibits and limits your power in any way they can and is looking for new ways to limit it every day? A vote against supplemental funding for Ukraine will hurt Ukraine and help Russia. Get ready for more of that rhetoric in the forthcoming election. If you vote for anyone, anyone other than Joe Biden, or unless we can get someone younger, and let's face it, everyone's younger. If you vote for <laughs> anyone other than Joe Biden, I mean Bobby Kennedy, I mean Cornel West, I mean Marianne Williamson, I certainly mean Trump or Vivek or any of those lunatics, then you are voting for, wait, Putin. It will hurt democracy and help dictators. And we think that that is not the right lesson of history and that every member, Democrat and Republican, should vote to support this. Okay, so democracy is do as I tell you, which essentially is what new technological dictatorships look like. You're sort of told you're in a democracy, but you don't seem to have very much freedom in it. Excuse me, isn't that... That's right. That's right. It's good to see Russell Brand getting this stuff out there. Of course, among anarchy circles, this is the sort of thing we've been trying to explain to people about democracy for a long time. And even the founders who weren't necessarily anarchists on the whole were trying to warn people about democracy, how the system gets gamed. It is two wolves and a sheep voting over what to have for dinner. That's what it is. And once people recognize that power system, as Alexei de Tocqueville reported to us in the early 1800s, the game was is over. Thanks for listening to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. There's plenty more coming up. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first, nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya Protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. 
Free Talk Live. We return with Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Now let's turn to the fine folks at Redacted. I recorded some good stuff from Redacted earlier today, and I want to go into that. Let's see. Got to get this uh, info from them. Here we go. Yeah. Um, Let me just double check on this here and bring this up for you correctly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. Here we go. This is the good folks at Redacted covering Zelensky's visit. Here we are. Here we go. You saw Tucker Carlson from 20-something years ago, and there he is now with his awesome wife, and they are rocking it on Redacted Monday through Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern U.S. time on Rumble Unedited. They go for a while on YouTube, but then they have to just pull out because too much of their stuff would be censored. Of the Ukrainian flag. It really went all out. Yeah, that's really showing the world. All those memories of the Ukrainian flag. Remember those? He invited Zelensky to hang Ukrainian flags in the United States Congress. They let him speak at a joint session of Congress, which is an honor, which is only reserved for people who control the United States. We only let people who we answer to speak in front of a joint session of Congress. The propaganda was incredibly strong, and most Americans, of course, fell for it. Falling for it allowed the United States Congress to send over $200 billion to Ukraine. I love seeing this fake number floating around of $111 billion. Let's be honest. We know that that's just the batch of money that they've set aside for Ukraine. The tens of billions of dollars that is secretly and had already been funded to Ukraine is well over $200 billion. It's one of the largest boondoggles in American history. More than 500,000 Ukrainians are now dead. American defense companies set record profits. The CEO of Raytheon casually admitted the truth that the war in Ukraine is very profitable. You know, you made some public comments a while back about how, you know, the conflict would likely result in an increase in your business. Um, Some took issue with that. That seems like a logical consequence of what's going on, right? Yeah, that's fair enough. Look, you know, we, we don't apologize for um, for making these systems, making these these weapons. Uh, I make no apology for that. Uh, I think, again, um, recognizing, you know, we are there to defend democracy. And the fact is, eventually, we will see some benefit in the business over time. Yeah, we will. Some benefit, oh, yeah. a little bit. The Biden administration is now threatening Americans. Ukraine needs more money or Putin will win. And Americans will need to go fight in Ukraine, as we just talked with Jim Ferguson about. This is really happening in the U.K. and in the United States. President Biden said this last week. And Secretary of State Blinken reminded all of us this week that war has been great for American companies. So you should be happy about this. But note on this, uh, and this is more for the, the American audience. If you look at the investments that we've made in Ukraine's defense to deal with this aggression, um, 90% of the security assistance we provided has actually been spent here in the United States with our manufacturers, with our production, and that's produced um, more American jobs, uh, more growth in our own uh, economy. Uh, so this has also been a, a win-win that we need to continue. It's a win-win. He says that with a straight face. It's a win-win. It's sort of like, it's sort of like that canard that many of us got sold when we were in high school 
I know my, my high school teachers pushed this nonsense. Not all of them, but many of them. The real lefties did this. They didn't understand economics. Then, you know, it's that idea of World War II got us out of the Great Depression. And I still I still encounter some of my old schoolmates. The left wing is like, what do you mean you it didn't pull us out of the out of the Great Depression? I said, listen, dude, when you're taking natural resources, human resources, first, you're sending human resources over to get slaughtered overseas. They're not working. They're not producing things for people. They're not bettering their lives or other people's lives with their products that people could voluntarily buy if they thought that they would improve their lives. You're taking people's money away from them. You're taking natural resources and turning it into things that's going to be destroying buildings and people overseas. It's going to be burning up energy. You really think that taking all those resources, they put people to work. Doing what? Digging holes and filling them back in and again. It was the equivalent of that. They just turned it, turned that work into tanks. They turned that work into rockets. They turned that work into planes. They used the oil. They used the gasoline for things that didn't have to be used because the United States didn't have to be in World War II. And it extended the Great Depression. It didn't make it better. It put a false a false uh, mask on it to say, well, all these people are working. The unemployment rate's going down. Yeah, well, you know, if you take most of your young guys and send them overseas into a meat grinder and you take a lot of women out of their homes and you put them into manufacturing plants and mills, well, you're going to get a lot of people working. The question is whether they're working on things that in a normal world people would think are productive types of work. If they're not productive types of work, then they're not helping people. You're not rising out of the Great Depression. You're doing make-work schemes. Just amazing. We'll continue with uh, Clayton Morris. Here we go. Well, this week, America's second favorite world leader behind Benjamin Netanyahu was back in Washington begging for more money. He's going to meet with President Biden and the Speaker of the House, the new Speaker of the House. Uh, but before he does that, he met yesterday with his main benefactors, of course, the United States defense industry. I mean, this was an unbelievable. Let's get the cameras here. Let's make sure he's shaking hands with all of these defense contractors. There he is uh, shaking hands with the Lockheed Martin's executives, uh, Boeing executives, Northrop Grumman. You mentioned all right there, right there, everybody. I, I wanted to make sure that I injected that thing about World War Two, because right there. You get. Zelensky shaking hands with the people who are the recipients of the make work redirection of money and not just the redirection of money, the make work redirection of debt service. These people are the overlords of the slave plantations into which not just we have been put, but future generations have been put. That's one of the most perverse parts about the United States system and many Western systems that operate through debt slavery. They not only create the debts and give payoffs to these people in their great suits, holding their hands so, so respectfully, that sort of thing, right? They not only give them the benefits, but it's this bizarre multi-generational thing where when these guys are long gone and ghosts, other people who the ghosts of them, the spirits of them have not even been put in bodies yet, will be walking the earth, will be paying for all of these people, 
all these people that Anthony Blinken says, oh, they're part of the economy that's doing so well. All that work that's going on. For what? It's just amazing. It's amazing. And it's the same sort of stuff when they put the money into all all other pork projects. We know that. But in this case, they try to excuse it just like they try to excuse fighting climate change or whatever, national security risk of this or that or whatever. They gin up this sort of thing. And it has the trappings of old time war of the heroes who went overseas. And again, I am the son of a guy who went into the Pacific and I'm the nephew of a guy who went into the European theater. Right. So, you know, I described some of the things that my father and my uncle went through in World War Two. They were one year apart from each other, both born on the same day via cesarean section. So they were very, very close. I was named in part after my uncle. And uh, this is just amazing to think that guys like them could see so many of their friends sacrificed and people can actually say that funneling my neighbor's productive efforts into machinery of war and then painting that patriotic symbolism on everything is somehow acceptable after all that. And this this is just even more ridiculous. It's so impossible to believe any of this stuff that they feed us. At least in World War II, the young guys, they didn't, they, they you know, they, they went into it thinking that Pearl Harbor was a for real deal. They didn't know some of those backwards machinations. Okay, I'm an anarchist. I wouldn't accept the idea of going into a war off the backs of somebody else, off their wallets, that sort of thing, because I oppose the state. But for those people who were, you know, traditional patriots or conservatives back then, they see America getting attacked. They don't know what Roosevelt did. Okay, I get it. I understand. But this is just ridiculous. How can anybody believe the nonsense that they're spewing out about Putin if they just can look back 10 years, for God's sake? Jeez. This guy's in one room and he wears his Ukrainian T-shirt. Like, this is the guy. He's coming here and he's meeting with them before he's meeting with President Biden. Because you know exactly who his, you know, his paymasters are. General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, all of them were there. And uh, it was an unbelievable moment. And then he tweeted this, actually. So he went into great detail about this. This is what Zelensky tweeted. I met with the leaders of the U.S. defense companies and expressed my gratitude to every American worker who manufactures weapons that help us safeguard our people and defend our land. I appreciated all American companies that attended last week's U.S.-Ukraine Defense Industry Conference. I also proposed establishing a European defense hub in Ukraine. Ah, we are prepared to make all essential decisions, cut red tape, and allocate orders. Now, that sounds like a great idea. Allocate orders. You see what they're setting themselves up to be. Yep. And that's going to come that, you know, it's part of his way to try to attract more to try to get the defense industry to back him because he's desperate. He's got some political infighting going on back in Ukraine. Okay, we get it. But in addition to that, he's he's bouncing off, I'm sure, ideas he's already heard from people in NATO as to how things were going to go if Ukraine had to sue for peace with Russia, which was that two thirds of Ukraine would be taken over. One third would be left. And that one third would get massive support from the West and would become the Israel of the region with huge amounts of support. And, of course, 
for the NATO people and for the deep state Atlantic Council people, it would then serve as the trigger point for the new Cold War that they want to have. Think about that, right? It's the most corrupt country in Europe. So let's build a European defense hub in this location. He says, we'll cut red tape. What red tape do you have to begin with? We can't account for the weapons that we've already sent you. We can't account for the money we've already sent you. You're going to cut red tape? How much more red tape is there to be cut? And we're going to allocate orders, making sure that so Ukraine will become the NATO defense. We've, we've said it all along that the whole purpose of this was to create, turn Ukraine into an aircraft carrier for NATO, put weapons on display so that people can make orders, use it as like a, a training ground, a proving ground. So people can come and watch how weapons are used and, and, and destroy and, and, and leverage. He says, we are ready to produce more ammunition and military vehicles, but we require support. It's important to develop joint production of artillery, ammo, air defense systems, and artillery and missile systems. Together, we can create more jobs, generate more strength, and provide more opportunities for both of our nations. And here's the... That's just amazing. And it, it really is the broken window fallacy. You know, it really is, except it's it's the death meets broken window fallacy in an even more pronounced fashion. It's, you know, Frederick Bastier mentioned this a long time ago in the 1800s about the idea of the broken window where a politician would say, well, look, it gives it get, that that storm was beneficial because it gives the glazier that work. And Bastier would say, yeah, but it means that the person who owns the house now has to spend money just trying to remain where he was at status X. He can't go to status X plus one. He's currently at status X minus one. So he's got to spend for the plus one over to, to where the minus one is just to be back at X. It's ridiculous to use the parlance of, you know, Twitter slash X. And he says, that's money that would have gone into something else that would have helped that guy's life. Now, just to, to remain at his uh, original position, he's going to lose that opportunity opportunity costs. They're the ones who force on us the opportunity costs. And they're doing it with absolute destruction of nation states and people's lives. Just amazing. By the way, I wanted to thank everybody inside uh, Rockfin and Rumble Chat. Really good that you're there, everyone. I really appreciate it. Want to go on with just a little bit more excellent stuff from Redacted. Photo op, of course, with uh, with these guys after the big meeting there, all of the defense contractors that shook hands with them, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, General Dynamics, of course, they're all there. However, something is different this time in Washington, D.C. with Zelensky's trip there. You know, before, of course, he was speaking in front of a joint session of Congress. Not anymore. Zelensky is this time, though, being met with a cold shoulder by members of Congress. And U.S. headlines showing him showing this time as he arrives in Washington. Winter, advantage Russia. Biden and package risks collapse. Ukraine on brink of losing war. I've seen a number of a number of headlines talking about uh, this is not good. This is not good for him now rolling into, into Washington, D.C. J.D. Vance told Steve Bannon today that people in Washington want to cut Social Security benefits in order to give money to Ukraine so Zelensky's ministers can buy yachts. Those are those are uh, J.D. Vance's words. Listen. You have a foreign leader coming to the United States like we're some sort of geopolitical salvation army. That is not the role of the United States here is to hand out money to every beggar who comes into our country and demands that we fund uh, their foreign conflict. So, 
So I'm just curious, uh, anybody know how J.D. Vance has been voting about sending weapons to Israel for years? Yeah, you know, he's just a senator from Ohio. I'm sure he's very consistent. Don't you? Uh, aren't you? Uh, and by the way, I wanted to mention also when we talk about um, Zelensky's overtures to say that it'll be a place of investment where you can test your weapons and develop your weapons. Just want to mention, if you get to see Redacted last night, I didn't include the, the clip today or anything like that. But if you got to see Redacted last night, they had Scott Ritter on and Scott Ritter. And Clayton went back and forth. Clayton was just hosting on his own because his uh, his thirteen uh, year old uh, son, I believe, had the had pneumonia, and his his wife was with his, with their son. And um, uh, they were talking with uh, with Ritter. He was talking with Ritter, and Ritter did a very very good job. If you if if you know, you know how we've spoken about the bioweapons plants, there is Dick Lugar and Obama went in there around, what was it, 2005, 2006. Uh, not only does Ritter talk about the number, which I believe was 48 of those biolabs, uh, but in addition to that, he talks about the mechanism of how they start the so-called rationale behind them starting, which is, well, you know, we got to engage in this sort of research because the enemy is going to be, in, you know, it's the total, um, it's the total race to the bottom, mutually assured destruction concept. Well, the, the enemy is going to be engaging in this sort of research. So we got to engage in this sort of research to block what the enemy might develop with their research. So let's get started on our research right away. And he says that incentivizes these people once they're they're off on their own and they have special interests to start to develop these things to say, you know, while we're here, why don't we start developing these things as offensive bioweapons, which essentially the research it's it's just natural to the research that they're going to be developing offensive stuff that could be used offensively anyway. Anyway, so Ritter did a very, very good job on that. And I want to refer you to last night's program, 1211. 23 12 11 23 if you go they they break it up into pieces later so that people can you know watch separate subjects i don't know whether the scott ritter interview is in its own subject um but check it out and even though rumble wasn't operating last night they did put this the stream up there later so you can find the show from redacted yesterday and i highly recommend highly recommend for anybody who's familiar with Victoria Newland, when Scott with uh, Marco Rubio, and he asked her about the biochemical plants and whether or not they were there in Ukraine, and she said, "Well, there are uh, biological research facilities, and we are working with the Ukrainians to make sure that those research materials don't fall into the wrong hands." In other words, yeah, we got we got you know dangerous pathological um, death creating. Uh, chemicals and biological um, labs, uh, chemical and biological labs there. And uh, yeah. And then of course, Rubio said, well, and that would mean that if there, if those things were used there, then it would be the Russians. <laughs> oh, okay. Sure. That, that makes total sense. Now, JD Vance there, by the way, folks, he's been making the big time rounds. He was on with uh, Laura Ingram as well. But uh, let's just continue just a little bit of this and, and look at this massive hypocrite as well. 
Zelensky is parachuting into this domestic political debate about prioritizing our own border. He's not here to tell us anything we haven't heard before. He's here to badger and browbeat Speaker Johnson and Senate Republicans into foregoing our negotiations on border security in order to write him another blank check. I've never seen anything like this. This is not Churchill coming in the midst to World War II. This is literally a guy begging for a handout and telling Republicans to stop negotiating over your own border security. Uh, I'm offended by it. As a United States senator, I'm offended by it. We should be focused on our own border and be having that debate. We don't need Zelensky to parachute and tell us how to run our country. You have people in this town saying we need to cut Social Security. There are people who would cut Social Security, throw our grandparents into poverty. Why? So that one of Zelensky's ministers can buy a bigger yacht? Kiss my ass, Steve. It's not happening. <laughs> okay. Well, isn't that interesting? Okay. Now, on my other computer, I just wanted to bring this up to you about uh, J.D. Vance. Uh, let's see. J.D. Vance issues statement on the war in Israel, October 7th. Cincinnati, Ohio, Senator J.D. Vance issued the following statement regarding Hamas's brutal terrorist attacks against the people in Israel. The horrible terrorist attacks launched by Hamas are an act of war, said Senator Vance. We must unequivocally condemn these heinous acts of violence against innocent civilians and the Iranian regime for funding the terrorists who carried them out. Except, of course, he doesn't mention that the United States was also funding Hamas and helped get Hamas into power. Uh, Today, it is of utmost importance that the United States stand with our allies in Israel and offer our prayers for the victims of these attacks. What does stand mean? We can't ask REM. We must also recognize the intent behind these attacks of war as our allies in Israel strive for peace in the Middle East. The Iranians Hope these attacks will undermine the progress our allies have made towards stability in the region. <laughs> See, so that's the thing, you know, just watching him on the on on Bannon's war room or watching him with Laura Ingram specifically talking about Ukraine. Somebody would sit there and say, hey, yeah, that Vance guy, I'm with Vance all the way. That's awesome. Boy, he's awesome. But then you see, oh, no, that's right. He says Israel has a right to self-defense. That includes striking back with overwhelming force against their enemies. Now as ever, we must support our allies in that fight for freedom and security. May God watch over them. Oh, okay, J.D. And when you say God, do you mean Anthony Fauci? Because he seems to consider himself to be God. Now we've got this from October 30th, and I'll just read this to you from my other computer, from the Ohio Capitol Journal, because he's such a bigwig from Ohio. U.S. Senator J.D. Vance calls for separate consideration of Israel aid package. Yes, he opposes continued support for Ukraine, and yet... Wait a minute, I just thought that he was saying that the United States can't go around handing around welfare. Didn't he just say that? Didn't I hear him say that? A week ago, Republican Ohio U.S. Senator J.D. Vance began pushing his colleagues to separate, this is October 30th, funding for Israel and Ukraine. Now he and a handful of other Republicans have filed standalone legislation providing $14.3 billion in aid for Israel. Because everybody knows J.D. Vance 
is wicked consistent, as they'd say in Dorchester guy. J.D. Vance, wicked consistent, dude. Let's go watch some hockey. At least they're more honest when they get in their fights, dude. They take off the gloves, guy. All right. Can you believe that? Let's just scroll back a little bit here and watch a little bit of this J.D. Vance somersault. All right, here we go. Clayton, hit me. Hit me, as Flavor Flav would say. My yachts. Those are those are uh, J.D. Vance's words. Listen. You have a foreign leader coming to the United States like we're some sort of geopolitical salvation army. That- okay, I think that pretty much covers it, J.D. Maybe you might want to be consistent. And yeah, screw you, dude. Yeah. Hey, hey, hockey guy. I'll see you on the ice, dude. What a clown show. There's plenty more coming up on Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Derek J. I don't want a politician to represent me. To me, government is the idea that one group of people can coerce everyone to comply with an edict or face increasing punishments up to and including death. Despite perhaps the most noble of intentions, the best government services are a far cry from what could be provided for by voluntary interactions. Besides, the people who call themselves the government wage wars and put peaceful people in jail for crimes involving no victims. If Starbucks used some of its money to drop bombs, I wouldn't shop there. So why would I support the American empire? The empire does not require my consent. Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree. You can order your copy of the Director's Cut DVD now at VictimlessCrimeSpree.com. We return with more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Find us every Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on Rumble and Rockfin. Just look for Liberty Conspiracy. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, the creator of The Conspiracy, and thanks for being interested in the principles of freedom, because, of course, freedom is out of fashion nowadays. You can also find my Substack, and every Sunday we publish... The Sunday News Assembly, with 20 or more stories pertaining to your freedom, plus contextual information to help peel those political onions. I hope that we can all be considered apostates to the state religion, because it is evil, it is nasty, and it is predicated on theft and force. Hello to everyone in chat. Rhonda Tate is there. Patrick S. is there as well. The great Ms. Rhonda Tate. And Patrick S. says, apostates to the prostate of the state, to arms. Yes, to arms. I uh, say arms in defense, 100%. Absolutely. And in Rumble, thank you for being there. And remember, everybody, as we grow the audience, you can really help out. It is really, um, a, really a function of you who have already helped the show to get it out there more and Spread the word to people in a very upbeat way. We, as we say, we try to turn those political frowns upside down and have some fun with some of the stuff. In fact, tonight it's going to be fun music and some film references. So let's get right to it, everybody. It's time for us to check out what's happening in, you know what, Newsflash! Flash, <laughs> 
Yes? Oh, hello. Uh, hello. We're Mary's parents. Oh, well, come on in, fellas. Hold it a second. Mary's parents burned to death last year. Wait a minute. I know you guys. You're from the news flash. <laughs> What's on tap tonight? We start with this lovely little ditty going out to Boston. It's not exactly Mayor Wu, but it's pretty darn close. Are you with me, Dr. Wu? Are you really just a shadow of the man that I once knew? She is lovely as she's fine, and you're Yes. Ah, Steely Dan. Love those guys. Got to see Steely Dan without Walter Becker. But uh, what a great show. About a year ago, got to see Steely Dan. In fact, it was uh, shortly before we got to see Tom Jones rocking it in the same place where Steely Dan had played, the Orpheum Theater in Boston. I think one of my first trips to the Orpheum, I saw Phil Collins there, and then shortly thereafter, I saw The Fix, saw The Psychedelic Furs, saw Talk Talk. It was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool place. Love the Orpheum. And that is, of course, where I got to see the cult, and that's where Ian Asbury ripped up the floor lights and mooned the audience. Ah, yes, Boston. You can't help but love Boston, especially when the mayor moons the people. And that happens all the time. Don't forget, this is Mayor Michelle Wu, who, as I mentioned yesterday, has stipulated that all government contracts for construction have to be carbon zero. I don't know even know what that means. Is that like a bad soda? But I just wanted to follow this up. Yes, the party happened, everybody. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu defends electeds of color holiday party after invitation backlash she says it was an honest mistake and i love the way that it went out because her assistant who doesn't even know how to write her pr assistant sent the message out to every employee in the government and then she sent out a retraction 15 minutes later and said oh sorry sorry no I didn't mean to do that. What I meant to be was racist. Sorry about that. I just wanted to make sure everybody understood that we're selecting only certain skin color people to come to our party. (laughs) Yeah, you got to love your fellow man for the holidays, don't you? Here's the story from Nicholas McIntyre. The original is from the New York Post. So you you know it's going to be true if it's from the New York Post. Well, the New York Post isn't too bad. At least they get the Hunter Biden stuff out there. Here we go. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. And hey, it's not Boston. So it's not the Boston Globe. You can kind of trust it. Boston Globe got bought out by the New York Times as New York Times continually drives itself into into the dirt. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu defending holding a holiday party for electeds of color. As I mentioned last night, the great David Brody and I always had a problem when they would put the something of something, 
you know, people of color. And he's like, I don't have fries of French. What color? I don't even know what that means. Electeds of color. What does that mean? Just hours before hosting the controversial gathering inside the city's official reception hall Wednesday. Wu, are you with me, Mayor Wu? Wu admitted it was a mistake that every member of the Boston City Council received invitations to the controversial holiday party. Yeah, we don't want to be inclusive. What are you talking about? This is about inclusivity. We can't be inclusive. What is this? Gentlemen, no fighting in the war room. This is the war room. How can we fight in the war room? Wu admitted it was a mistake that every member of the Boston City Council received invitations to the controversial holiday party. Boy, am I glad you're here, everybody. And had already talked to those who were uninvited. That sounds like the name of a punk band, you know? We're the uninvited. It would be like guys who dress up as elves, but they play like really heavy hard rock. It's like that Spinal Tap song, Christmas with the Devil. Hey, by the way, I actually bought the single for Christmas with the Devil when it came out. And the flip side, because at the time it was like really popular to have like the extended remix, you know, double disco, double Dutch dancing remix. So this was the scratch version. And when you put on the 45, all it did was sound really scratched and sound like it skipped. Awesome. Way to go, Spinal Tap. Uh, the little people, a Stonehenge. We had individual conversations with everyone, so people understand that it was truly just an honest mistake that went out in typing the email field. Woo, Boston's first female of color and Asian American mayor came under fire when her director of city council relations, Denise Dos, again, Dos Santos. It's not just one Santos. She's twice as good as any other Santos. She's Dos Santos. Sent an exclusive party invitation to all members of the city council instead of just the select invitees. Somebody made a great point. I think it was Grace Curley. Uh, she was talking on our show today. She goes, you know, I was willing to let this thing drop, but then a caller called or so a friend of hers said something where it's like, yeah, you know, somebody in the office said, what if this, what if this were just exclusive to only white people? Like there was a mayor, Kevin White, right? Kevin White, people loved Kevin White. He was just a really, he was a you know, funky character. I spoke to him because he taught a, a journalism class at Boston University for a little while. And I saw him outside, just said, hi, he's a really nice guy, you know? And, uh, one of the things about Kevin White was he had a very, very slight lisp. And I mentioned it in, in my Teamizer novel, where when he would say the city of Boston, it sounded like the C, the S sound of C came out like an SH sound. <laughs> and all sorts of people would talk about it. <laughs> like even in school, they'd be like, ah, Mayor White, he's got that shitty of Boston thing going on, you know? But anyway, so... It, she said, imagine if there was, this were a white person and it was, it was exclusive only to whites. You know, again, we talk about that patrician thing, you know, it's totally flipped. It's just ridiculous. Oh, man. Thank you, Mayor Wu, for giving us some fun. Yes, indeed. I mean, you know, we got to have some fun nowadays, don't we? It's sort of like there's nothing else to do. We, we don't have any cash anymore. <laughs> right. In fact, 
I think we need a theme for that subject right now. Coming. Where, oh. Stop wasting my time. You know what I want. You know what I need. Oh, maybe you don't. Do I have to come right flat out and tell you everything? Give me some money. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta end on it. You gotta end it with Ed Bigley Jr. with the horn room glasses. You gotta have that. That's the way it goes. I I contacted the guys in Spinal Tap, and I was like, "Hey guys, how should I stop the video?" And they're like, "Oh, guard, do it this way on on Ed." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And uh, yeah. Oh man, oh, it makes me think of the Pixies song, Ed is Dead. What a great tune. And so's the economy, everybody. It's dead. It's not a great tune. It's dead. Or it's going to be really dead. Pete St. Ange, of course, he friended me on Facebook. I have to contact him. I'm going to try to get him on the show. Uh, so here it is. He And he spells it out pretty simply. He says, we are repeating the 1970s disaster literally line by line. And he retweets, I mean, re-Xs, whatever, something from E.J. Antoni, who's an economist. And he writes this, history may not repeat, but it rhymes. So just take a look at annual change in the CPI, Consumer Price Index, by percent seasonally adjusted. And they are 100% repeating, here, you are here with Powell and company bowing to their political masters and readying rate cuts. You got it, because there's an election coming up for 2024, which will set off another inflationary storm in 2025. This is precisely what they did just before Jimmy Carter left office. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, some people are insulated. I think you know the kinds of people they are because, of course, if we go back to our schedule for the program, Liberty Conspiracy, on this 12-14-2023, we're talking spying, war, corruption, and apostates. And uh, you can't be an apostate to the state. The way that you get by, everybody, is you make sure that you become one of the state's high priests. And then you're all in. You're all in. In fact, before we even go on to talk about the people who benefit, let's go with a saying from James Bovard from his new book, Last Rites, just out. I was in touch with James, and he was going to be on the show this coming Wednesday, but I'm going to be in Boston. They rescheduled the um, Andrea Bocelli show for Wednesday, so there won't be a show on Wednesday here. Um, I could try to record it beforehand, but I'm going to be taking care of my brother's cats and stuff like that, so it's going to be kind of crazy that day. Uh, so looks like that's the way it'll be. Uh, so yes, he says, government grants are eventually followed by government restrictions, and dependence often turns into submission. The ultimate victim of handouts could be democracy itself. And I I hope people understand, of course, that democracy uh, start, is really a gaming of the system. Politicians cannot undermine self-reliance reliance without subverting self-government. So self-government is not democracy. That's the problem. Self-government is 
the one being sacrificed for the many, for the multiple. And of course, that sacrifice is not voluntary. And I would just point out that, as James notes, government grants are eventually followed by government restrictions, everybody, and dependence often turns into submission. Well, it also works in another way. It works in such a way that the people who become dependent on government granting them permission often find ways to block competition and use the government as a weapon as a way to rent-seek and gain power themselves. Which brings us to our very next story, everybody. Because, as I said, if you want to do well in this economy, just make sure you're connected to the fascist system. And here it is from the Brownstone Institute. Jordan Schachtel writes, White House COVID task force members cashed in on pandemic panic. Even more than we already knew, about the NIH sharing uh, patents with the big pharma companies like Moderna and getting hundreds of millions of dollars. And, of course, the most well-paid, the highest-paid federal employee, Anthony Fauci, and his wife also working for the federal government. Even more than that, even more than Deborah Burks getting a plum deal now working with a pharmaceutical company, even more than that, yes, even more than that. He writes, the White House Coronavirus Task Force was spun up on January 29th, 2020. Shortly thereafter, the federal government began to deploy countless billions of dollars of pharmaceutical comp- to pharmaceutical companies with the ostensible hopes to mitigate a much-hyped incoming so-called pandemic, which was not a pandemic. Now, almost for because, of course, they changed the definition of pandemic to include things that don't have to be as deadly. They did that in March of 2009 under the auspices of the World Health Organization. Mm, yes, yes. Just before the uh, H1N1 stuff went out. Now, almost four years later, which also was not a pandemic. Now, almost four years later, our hindsight presents a much clearer picture to the fog of virus mania we experienced in real time. That would be for some people who have their eyes now open. Some of us had our eyes open from the start, not to, you know, toot your horn or toot my horn or anything like that. But I think, you know, we're pretty much kindred spirits here, and we were very frustrated at the time. I know that when I was getting blocked in July of 2020, when I was writing about the mask mania, and we were having our stuff pulled down at MRC TV, and of course, NewsGuard was attacking us. Well, those are fun times. That was great. Uh, If only I had known that NewsGuard was getting my tax money. That would have been awesome. And, of course, was in contact with DARPA. Yeah. I would have thought that I was just doing my patriotic duty. Ooh, so much fun. We've got to worship at the state, at the altar of the state. We've got to ritualize everything, don't we? Well, Instead, writes Jordan Schachtel, instead of mobilizing an effective public-private response to the advertised problem, well, I wouldn't go with that because that's fascism. And if you saw the image for tonight's program, I put up the picture of the Nazis and the word fascism. But he says, Operation Warp Speed and the task force served as a vehicle to further panic and the facilitating of taxpayer cash that ended up enriching the pharmaceutical industry. Well, Jordan, I just want to remind you that the public-private response is what effectuates and facilitates exactly the thing you're criticizing in your article. It's the very fact that there is a public-private response 
Public just means the state. It means involuntary servitude. And when it's connected to private, that means you get some people benefiting at the expense of other people. And those other people don't have a choice, which is exactly what we saw. And we're still seeing it. And more and more is being revealed, Jordan. So don't use public-private partnership stuff because that's fascism. That's gaming the system. And, of course, democracy is already a corrupt game. You can't game it any worse than it already is. You can't. It starts on an immoral basis. So everything that happens from there is just an unraveling from an immoral predicate. We'll continue, though. He says, these taxpayer-funded COVID-related slush funds ballooned to astronomical heights across two presidencies, delivering record profits to pharma companies that took pains to bring themselves on sides with the people in charge in Washington, D.C. They've been doing that for years. This is just the result of it. Tragically, the government-backed mechanical ventilators and pharmaceutical remdesivir, mRNA shots, etc., interventions didn't work to remedy the respiratory illness problem. No, in fact, there was another respiratory illness called the flu, and they just put this forward as something that was deadlier than the flu when it wasn't, and suddenly we didn't have all these deaths from the flu. They got relabeled as COVID. I know, crazy, isn't it? Operation And strangely, we had an increase in all-cause mortality after the COVID stuff, long after, when just a few weeks after they introduced the jabs in every nation state. Crazy, isn't it? Operation Warp Speed and the resulting task force operation was, by all objective accounts, a catastrophic blunder. But that didn't stop many of its members. And, oh, aren't they great right here? They're just awesome. Look at Mike Pence. Deborah Burks, where's her scarf? Oh no, we can't show a picture of Deborah Burks without her scarf. Oh man, this is terrible. Who's that guy? Never heard of him. And we got the best unconstitutional Operation Warp Speed until the next Operation Warp Speed. It's the best. It's awesome. So we thought now would be a good time to take a look at some of the, and this is where we get into the meat of it. Sorry if I'm just joking around and you know criticizing Jordan, but. Those criticisms, if I didn't include them, I would be doing a disservice to truth and reality, political philosophy, and my parents, you, Jordan Schachtel, and so on and so forth. I hope I'm doing you right, Jordan, because those these are not harsh criticisms, because I know you've done very good work, but you're using terminology and you're coming at it with the incorrect assumptions about things like democracy and the state. So just remember that because this is a natural outgrowth of the state. In fact, this is just one form of exactly what the state does all the time, whether it's big pharma, whether it's the communications industry, whether it's the military industrial complex. Let's look at Mr. Military Industrial Complex, Mike Pence. He was primarily responsible for staffing the Trump administration's COVID response team. Pence launched his presidential bid in June, but gave up by October after, of course, his wonderful comment about making sure that Ukraine was the 51st state, essentially. He is perhaps the only task force member who did not benefit from the operation as his political career is effectively over. That's okay. He's got the military industrial complex to back him up. He'll probably be working for the Atlantic Council if he isn't already on it. Anthony Fauci, Anthony, Anthony, 
I mentioned the Prince Spaghetti Restaurant. They always had those commercials. They were calling for this kid named Anthony on the streets. His mom said the spaghetti was ready on Wednesdays because Wednesdays are Prince Spaghetti Day. Anthony Fauci, the most notorious member of the task force, Fauci's wealth increased multiple times multiple times over while serving as the pharma kingmaker, the freshmaker, over at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID. That's very constitutional. He recently took a no-show professorship at Georgetown and is said to be working on a book. Yeah, I'm sure that book will have something to do with his his newfound incredible godhead. As he says, he doesn't have to go to church because his ethics are all he needs. We'll be back with more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Thanks so much for listening. Contact me, Gardner Goldsmith, on Twitter, at Gard Goldsmith, G-A-R-D Goldsmith. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. We have been enslaved for it's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Welcome back to Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, continuing our conversations about freedom in so many different facets. You can find Liberty Conspiracy online Monday through Friday, starting at 6 o'clock Eastern Time on Rumble and Rockfin. You can join the chat there, or you can listen and watch at my Twitter feed, which is at Guard Goldsmith. That's G-A-R-D Goldsmith. And, of course, you can always find the show after the fact at Rockfin and at Rumble. And I really hope that you like what you're hearing and that you'll find us over there. And join us live or after the fact. Now we're discovering that in England, the military, the Royal Air Force, was spying on people to counter their criticism of the lockdowns, even as now in a so-called investigation, Richie Reach can't turn over his information. So they can spy on you whether you're in the United States or you're in England or anything like that, they're going to have FISA spy on you some more. And now I want to go into another aspect of the surveillance. This one I just discovered. I tweeted about this. Some folks got to retweet it, and I appreciate that. Here it is. This comes from Grist. The EPA's new methane rule includes an innovative way to so-called stop super emitters. Just very excited about this. They're going to stop the super emitters. Of what? Oh, yeah, that dangerous stuff that they can't prove is dangerous in any way whatsoever and continually manipulate data and then claim that they have to stop us from actually bettering our lives. And they're going to tax our use of, of things like fossil fuels, so-called fossil fuels, petrochemicals. They're going to restrict our ability to travel. They're going to stop us from buying certain products like light bulbs. So here it is. Scientists with NASA's. So the way I just to give you the heads up on this one, everybody, the way that I put this out on Twitter slash X is I mentioned that this is just a new form of, of unwarranted surveillance. And it is it is predicated on a punishment regime of so-called regulations without trial where they can fine you for using certain things or doing certain things that they say are verboten. 
Okay, so here it is. Scientists with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory were flying a plane equipped with a visible infrared imaging spectrometer over an oil field in Can- in California's San Joaquin Valley when they made a worrisome discovery. Oh, my goodness, no. Images produced by the device revealed a large plume of methane lingering in the air. How can that be? How can you ever get methane in a place where there actually is methane that is naturally produced? Oh, no. Yes, folks, we're talking about aerial surveillance to find out your energy output. That's what they're looking at. And it's not just planes where they're going. The plane made flights over the field for several more weeks. The plume shifted and changed shape with the blowing wind. Oh, but its presence persisted, indicating that its source could be a leak at the oil well. The scientists notified the operator. Soon the plume disappeared. The leak coming from a small fuel line had been repaired. Well, that's very nice, but it's not so nice. This is the essence of proactive measurement. Yes, folks, again, blocking you from engaging in an activity, even though no one has claimed harm in a common law pattern, no one has actually said in a tortious way, you harmed me or my property. The government is stepping in the way saying you cannot engage in this activity. You can't do this. You can't do that. Put on my little gloves here. It's cold in here. You can't do it. So this is what they're calling proactive measurement. This, according to Riley Duran, one of the scientists involved in the flights and now CEO. I wonder if they might start currying favor with the government of Carbon Mapper, told Grist. He said, it's a good example of how you would want it to work. The leak detected in July 2020 was what's called a super emitter. Oh, there you go. Super genius. It's a super emitter of, you know, the gases that aren't causing catastrophic climate change. The term refers to events, again, tortious claim, prove harm, individuals, governments, and corporations are not individuals. The term refers to events in which a lot of methane is quickly expelled or to infrastructure that releases a disproportionately large amount of the evil gas, whatever gas it is. And they might pick other gases in the future that are also evil, but that's okay because John Kerry can handle that. Maybe he'll get up in his flying magic jet, his aeroplane, and maybe he'll get an extra seat. Because, of course, his ego is rather obese. In oil and gas production, events can occur on purpose as part of routine processes like venting. Yeah, or by accident due to faulty equipment or human error. However, they happen. Super emitters release a particularly insidious greenhouse gas. Although it only stays in the atmosphere for about a decade, methane is 28 more times more potent than carbon dioxide, which is not potent in this atmosphere. They, they constantly tried to make some sort of a syllogistic connection to the Venusian atmosphere when the Venusian atmosphere and environment doesn't utilize the carbon to help things grow. And it, uh, it is trapping heat in the atmosphere, even though we'll see a little something from Tony Heller 
That is another indication that, of course, they are wrong. The only thing that I've seen substantiated is their instantiation of lies through their deceptive use of collection of data from certain selected areas where they know it's going to be warm and manipulation of the data after the fact to try to get back into the history books when they couldn't collect the data through corrupt means. And they're now reshaping the data through corrupt means. Because methane lacks color or odor, releases can go undetected for months. Nearly one-third of its emissions in the U.S. came come from the oil and natural gas sector. Of course, we have to target them. And of course, yes, they are targeting methane from COP28. They have new regulations aimed at addressing the gas and other dangerous pollutants of oil and gas facilities. So, what's the rest of this? Well, under their supposed rule, they've got a super emitter program. This is what is proposed in COP28, in which outside organizations, in this case certified by the EPA, can use approved remote sensing technologies. Oh, let me go back up here. Um, Darren Schroeder of the Clean Air Task Force's Methane Pollution Prevention Program said of the rule, quote, reducing methane emissions is the best action we can take right now to bend the climate curves. And this brings you to the United States. So sorry, I skipped over that. The EPA predicts the new regulations will avoid 58 million tons of methane emissions by 2038, reducing projected emissions of the gas by 80%. Okay, sure. The rule also includes the super emitter program in which outside organizations certified by the EPA, thank you, Richard Nixon, no one's being harmed unless they go to court and then they can prove it there if they can. The EPA can use approved remote sensing technologies, including airborne spectrometers and satellites to monitor oil and gas facilities and detect large releases. It goes back to Judas Priest, electric eye. Under the program, watchdogs will report super emitter events defined as a release of more than 100 kilograms per hour. And you know, again, since the sign that I put on to the show tonight from Rumble and Rockfin, it's about fascism. The EPA will contract, make contracts with these now fascistically tied companies, organizations, such as the one that this guy just started called Carbon Mapper. That's what they're going to do. Just like they're going to collect your data through the uh, industries, unless this provision of the FISA, uh, FISA law is, uh, you know, continues through in the Senate. Um, uh, you know, the FISA Act, I should say, where they're supposedly not going to be able to pay to get your data. Um, I think they're going to find a way around that. And they've been doing it for years. This is what they're going to do with these private companies. They're going to have the monitor, the owners, the owner, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the F- EPA can use approved remote sensing technologies, including airborne spectrometers and satellites to monitor oil and gas facilities. Under the program, they will watch for super so-called super emitters. The owner must investigate and report back to the EPA within 15 days because, of course, he can be punished out of nowhere. Like I said, no trial, no harm, 
nobody being shown to have been harmed. The APA will also post verified super emitter events on the program's website. Schroeder, the CEO, said the program gives organizations that are already identifying leaks a way to make their data actionable. They're finding super emitters all over the place, but there's nothing to do with that information. One of those organizations is Carbon Mapper. It's a nonprofit created in 2020 to drive emissions mitigation with data from specific facilities. The aircraft that Carbon Mapper uses carries an imaging spectrometer capable of measuring hundreds of wavelengths of light. So in order to measure them, you either have to put a satellite up there using rockets or you got to keep flying planes around. Maybe you could use balloons. Through a coalition that includes the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Planet Labs, and other institutions, otherwise known as fascist government and corporate fascist institutions, Carbon Mapper is working to launch two spectrometer-equipped satellites to detect methane and CO2 directly at their sources. Satellites are quickly boosting the potential of methane monitoring. Surveillance. The UN-led methane alert and response team launched at COP27 has used them to issue alerts on 127 plumes in the last year. Who's paying for that? You are. Who's benefiting from that? The fascist tied corporations that are using the money to spy on people. The technology is also expected to play an important role in monitoring the new oil and gas decarbonization charter announced at COP28, which commits 50 oil companies to drastically lowering their methane pollution by 2030. In the super emitter program, Duran of Carbon Mapper said outside monitoring will act as a backstop to the inspections oil and gas companies do themselves. So there's more, but I wanted to give that to you. And now I want to get you some more about surveillance. The CEO of GM just announced something today, everybody. Guess what it is? It's exactly what you thought it was going to be. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is excited. They say that they've entered, they're going to introduce a key new safety feature to all their cars, it seems. General Motors and their get-free report is taking on an important pillar of automotive safety. In a December 13th interview with the Economic Club of Washington, D.C., and there's no favoritism or cronyism there, no fascism, GM CEO Mary Barra said that the technology enabling passive alcohol detection systems is coming to its cars. Yep. The response by the figurehead came a day after the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration took its first regulatory, uh, otherwise known as threat step, toward mandating technology that would detect and prevent the operation of light-duty cars and trucks by impaired drivers. As we know, Thomas Massey tried to get that out of a bill that was passed a couple of years ago. Everything starts rolling out on January 6th, I believe, ironically. Despite the presence of preventative legislation and longstanding awareness campaigns, drunk driving remains to be a problem on the government-run roads. Gee, what a surprise. A provision within the bipartisan infrastructure law passed and signed by the president in November 2021 orders the 
National Highway Transportation Safety Administration to issue a final rule that would mandate seg technology as standard equipment in cars and trucks sold in the United States. So GM, good for being ahead. So good. So good. All right. Comments, everybody. Hopping into Rockfin to say hi. See what's happening over there. Tom Cooper, thanks for being there. Risha M says, yeah, they thought a pipeline was leaking here. The oil company went out, tested the line, no leaks. There had been shrubs and trees torn down to make a road. The guys on the ground tested and came to the conclusion that dead tree, uh, dead trees and shrubs were emitting the methane. And Gates wants forest demolished. Dump Johnson writes Opossum King, big time. And that's just for the satisfaction of dumping him. I know the system's going to be perpetuated, but clearly the guy is just a, a, just an absolutely unscrupulous dude. And, you know, more money for Ukraine, $600 million more for Ukraine at a time when the United States shouldn't even be out there. They're passing an NDAA, which reminds me, I have another theme for you. Let's hit it. The Dukes of Stratosphere, they're otherwise known as XTC. They put it out under this name, The Dukes of Stratosphere. Nobody knew it was XTC. It's a great, great psychedelic album. Great takeoff of the Disraeli Gears cover on the back as well. All right, so let's get to it. I want to give you some what I think is pretty valuable stuff. And surprisingly, uh, well, first, I want to give you a reminder. Let's not forget about what we remembered the other day about the United States watching over and protecting the poppy fields in Afghanistan. This from some 20 years ago or so um, as the U.S. Marines and a guy named Christmas, Brian Christmas, uh, met with Geraldo Rivera. I mentioned Tucker Carlson's name a couple times last night before I actually got the the Geraldo's name in there. And uh, um, so, yeah, Tucker was in Afghanistan. And and Tucker said to us, the audience at the time, that uh, if the United States government didn't guard these poppies, the Taliban would uh, take over. And the locals were growing the poppies because the Taliban uh, was acting as a facilitator for loans and the locals owed them a lot of money. And if if the locals didn't handle this crop, the Taliban would handle it. They'd take over and everything would get out of control. So the only way to control the poppies was, of course, to have the U.S. Marines act as tax your tax funded security to guard the poppies which would then be turned into the heroin which would then be brought into the united states and then see more of your money and rights destroyed and sucked up by the so-called war on drugs which also is unconstitutional just like the united states military sitting in afghanistan it was and 
it will be unconstitutional when they probably go back someday. So um, let's see Geraldo Rivera show us the evidence. And there's plenty of other footage uh, that has come around since then. But he was the first one that I ever saw. And I remember seeing this live. So the population. Good. Joining us from Helmand Province is Geraldo Rivera. Good morning to you, uh, Geraldo. Tell us what you've seen during your days there in Afghanistan. Hi, Allison, Dave, and Clayton. Yes, in some ways, the Marines brilliantly executed invasion of Marja, this town in the middle of Helmand province, was the easy part. The hard part now is governing this province, a province, as you suggest, that has become addicted to opium in many, many ways. That is the principal crop that is being grown here. Uh, the Taliban lend the farmers the money. They are indebted to the Taliban. They have to grow the opium. Now the Marines, in their success, are in a sense a victim of their success because now the population is, uh, you know, they have these opium fields and we are tolerating it. We are tolerating the cultivation of the opium because we know that if we were to destroy it now, the population would turn against the Marines and it would be a real security risk. Let me introduce Lieutenant Colonel Brian Christmas. He's the commanding officer of the 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines. Uh, really a, a wonderful group of uh, Marines here. Uh, I know. All that- right. They're just a wonderful group of Marines. See, so they're guarding against. I have no idea why that popped up. They're guarding against the uh, the possibility that the Taliban might come in and take over and, you know, really pump out that heroin, even though, of course, with the United States guarding things, the 90 percent of the market that came from Afghanistan of opium based products turned into 97% of the world market. And now that the United States has left and the Taliban has taken over again, uh, Myanmar has taken over as the top poppy opium producer. And the Afghan uh, uh, production of it has dropped dramatically because the Taliban is stopping it. Now, I don't necessarily think that it's right for anybody to engage in aggressive violence against people like those folks who want to grow poppies in what would normally be a private marketplace. But I do think it's uh, illustrative of something that we've learned about the U.S. government, which is don't trust them and don't trust the military uh, colonialism of the United States. Let's find out about one of its colonial empire offshoots, Israel, and a little something from CNN this morning. Thank you, Daniel McAdams, for getting this out. He says, every bomb made in USA, every dollar to buy every bomb printed in USA, U.S. government is every bit as culpable as the Israeli government in this slaughter. And yet the United States government with its NDAA is still going to be channeling money all over the place. And let's see what the United States has wrought so far in Israel as they start to debate whether or not they're going to be sending another $14 billion to Israel. We have been trying for many, many weeks now to try to get into Gaza. It has been impossible uh, for us. Up until Tuesday, we were able to travel inside with some medical volunteers who are working at a newly established, newly built field hospital that has been set up by the United Arab Emirates in the southern part of Gaza. As you know, the southern part of Gaza is now very much the focus of Israel's military operations. That is exacerbating an already dire humanitarian catastrophe and leading to... And as I mentioned, folks, I mentioned it, and I'm going to mention it again. 
the minute that I heard the Israeli Defense Force people telling these people they were forcing out of their homes, just go to the south, go to the south. Everything's cool. We're telling you to go to the south. I knew immediately that they were going to start bombing the south. And that's exactly what they have done. To record numbers of civilian casualties, as we saw for ourselves. You don't have to search for tragedy in Gaza. It finds you on every street, strewn with trash and stagnant water, desolate and foreboding. So we've just crossed the border into southern Gaza. This is the first time we've actually been able to get into Gaza since October 7th. And we are now driving to a field hospital that has been set up by the UAE. Up till now, Israel and Egypt have made access for international journalists next to impossible. And you can see why. Since October 7th, the Israeli military says it has hit Gaza with more than 22,000 strikes. That by far surpasses anything we've seen in modern warfare in terms of intensity and ferocity. And we really, honestly, are just getting a glimpse of it here. Despite Israel's heavy bombardment, there are people out on the streets. A crowd outside a bakery. Where else can they go? Nowhere is safe in Gaza. Used to be a stadium. Arriving at the Emirati Field Hospital, we meet Dr. Abdullah Al-Nakbi. No sooner does our tour begin when... Our ambulance... And this is what you hear all the time now? Yes. At least 20 times a day. At least 20 times a day. Maybe more sometimes. Uh, I think we're used to it. One thing none of the doctors here have got used to is the number of children they are treating. The UN estimates that some two-thirds of those killed in this round of the conflict have been women and children. Thanks for listening to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. There's plenty more coming up. Free Talk Live. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction, and its features ensure Dash is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% of attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete. So it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO. Big thanks to them for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org.
And now I want to turn right back to Russell Brand, who's got something on his show that I think is pretty darn valuable. We told you before that we were going to be looking at the extraordinary claim that your government spent money to ensure that the legacy media promoted COVID-19 vaccines. This is astonishing. You have Pfizer funding, I think, 75% of all cable news. And now you have the government pushing to promote vaccines. Is this democracy? Is this the world you want to live in? Is this a world that you can afford to remain slumbering in for a single second? further here's the news no here's the effing news you already know how much money the legacy media receives from big pharma don't you well how would you feel if you found out that the federal government also paid the media to promote vaccines during the pandemic well i feel like something very suspicious was going on well get ready We know now that authoritarianism is on the rise. It's not in the form of militant dictatorships, but technological dictatorships, always seemingly in order to advance your safety and your convenience. As in today's story, the federal government paid media organizations to promote vaccines during the pandemic. It's as simple as that. During the time where people that were hesitant, suspicious about new untrialed medications were shamed and told that they shouldn't be allowed admission into hospitals amidst the plethora almost too numerous to count of untruths around whether or not they prevented transmissions or even were trialed where it came from whether or not certain information was repressed or suppressed whether young people needed to take it how effective booster shots were whether or not deaths were being recorded properly whether or not adverse injuries all of that stuff additionally your government that means your money because remember your government's money is your money they don't have any independent money and when they get it they invest it pretty quickly in the stock market, let me tell you, curiously, into big pharma companies. They were spending taxpayer dollars promoting vaccines through the media. This is an extraordinary story and revelation. It's not been widely reported. I wonder why that would be. Perhaps because it shows that the government and the legacy media are cooperating to bring about conditions where ordinary people have limited access to information and are exposed to information that is subsequently proven to not be true. Let's get into this story. Remember, we stream every day at these times. We'd love you to join us there because this movement needs to move fast. So this first commercial was paid for by the Department of Health and Human Services. Or another way of saying that is you, you paid for this. Luis and Roberta think they got COVID at dance class. Mike thinks he got it at his family reunion. Nancy blames the carpool. One thing they have in common, their natural immunity has worn off. Natural immunity is worn off. Natural immunity will do that to you. Just wears off. Unlike this vaccine that we're paying for, you're paying for, and this advert that we're paying for, you're paying for, it never wears off. It's 98% effective. Sorry, don't ask questions about percentiles. What do you want, us to start passing audits like the Pentagon? The Pentagon never pass audits, and they're not involved in the funding. Oh. But they can... I love it. So, and I'm sure many of you saw these ads and you just shook your head. Just They're just lying outright in these ads. I've seen the ads online. You probably have seen them. And you just sit there and say, why do we have to be assaulted with this stuff? But it's not just being assaulted. You're being hit with a cudgel you paid for. They're lying about natural immunity. They have been lying about natural immunity all along. And then they continue to lie about the jabs. And I could have shown, in fact, I was going to try to grab it, but I got called away. I had a phone call. In the 15 minutes that I had spared just before the show, I thought, oh, I want to get that montage of 
the music playing, the classical music playing, as the the predictions on the uh, efficacy of the jabs kept going down week after week after week until you finally see Rochelle Walensky like, well, yeah, they don't work, you know, and then put in that woman, uh, what's her name, Smalls, uh, talking with Roots, the the dude who's the uh, Roos, the dude from the Netherlands who's uh, an EU Parliament member, and um, what is it, Patricia Smalls or something like that. When she was like, oh, no, we had to go by the speed of science. We didn't know whether they were efficacious at all. And yet they claim they were 90-something percent efficacious, you know, just amazing. So let's go back to Russell. Here we go. Percent effective. Sorry. Don't ask questions about percentiles. What do you want us to start passing audits like the Pentagon? The Pentagon never pass audits and they're not involved in the funding. Oh, but they can restore their protection with an updated vaccine because getting COVID again means risking long COVID or even hospitalization. Let me know in the comments if you can think of any other situations that might lead to hospitalization or worse. Get your updated vaccine because COVID can be anyway. We can do this. <laughs> we can do this. That's their slogan. That, at least, I agree. We can do this. We can do whatever the hell we want. And yeah. you'll pay for it. What an extraordinary world. What an extraordinary story. Let's look at the details now and see if it can help us adapt our worldview, awaken, and oppose the kind of corruption that seems all too present continually. Mainstream media's nearly monolithic coverage of mRNA vaccines and other COVID measures can be at least partially explained by a clear financial interest. Yes. Recently, a Freedom of Information Act request filed by the conservative media company, The Blaze, found a number of major media outlets were paid to promote the COVID vaccine. Such venues included, and get ready for a list of the usual suspects, The Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, NBC, CNN, Fox News, and several others. Oh, the whole of the legacy media. The Blaze's report received little coverage, even in conservative media, perhaps because some of those outlets were also paid by HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, ideologically predisposed to criticise government-fueled narratives on the pandemic. As The Blaze reports, hundreds of news organisations were paid by the federal government to advertise for the vaccine as part of a comprehensive media campaign. This is a media campaign. It's comprehensive. Well, I can't comprehend it. It seems corrupt and incomprehensible. According to documents the Blaze obtained from the Department of Health and Human Services, they have to use Freedom of Information Act rights and legislation to get it. This information is not freely available. You have to go, give us the information. Come on, give it his freedom. You don't need this information. Can't we tell you in 75 years when you're all dead? The Biden administration purchased ads on TV, radio, in print, and on social media to build vaccine confidence, timing this effort with the increasing availability of the vaccines. Vaccine confidence should be related to vaccine efficacy and transparency. Wouldn't you agree that your confidence in any government project ought to be based on transparency, authenticity, integrity? Or do you just want to be told stuff, denied access to all of the information and shamed if you don't participate? The latter would be more effective and work more quickly. We'll just do that then. During the vaccine rollout, the Biden administration made a number of efforts to bolster vaccination rates. They certainly did. My God, do you remember all the dancing about, the musicals, the singing, the shaming? It was extraordinary. You've probably forgotten it's happened because you're traumatized and you've parked it somewhere. But believe me, it happened. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services COVID-19 public education campaign states they employed both paid advertising and media interviews, presentations, radio, TV tours and other public events to educate people about the importance of vaccination. The word 
educate there. I'm just going to educate you about the importance of vaccinations. And now we're going to educate you about the importance of prison. Here is the legacy media literally presenting information <laughs> as if it was news when in fact it was propaganda. If by propaganda you mean information that was paid for by the state and was not revealed to be state-sponsored information in order to exert mind control? Is that a good definition? Well, I don't know if this is a good definition. Colin, mocking anti-vaxxers, COVID deaths is ghoulish, yes, but may be necessary. <laughs> that was it. They went in hard. Yes, it's ghoulish. Once you acknowledge that it's ghoulish, you can't continue with it. It is ghoulish, isn't it? Yes, so, but necessary. What? It's, it's something that a ghoul would do. <laughs> That's the risen dead. You've got to deal with the actual dead. Some of them died very suddenly for some reason. The HHS website contains public access to all vaccine campaign advertisements for media outlets and beyond. One pass advertisement promotes COVID vaccination in children featuring a montage of selected medical doctors stating in unison. We can all agree on this. You can trust the COVID vaccine for yourself or your kids or your grandkids. I mean it from the heart. Yeah, we're going to need a rewrite on that <laughs> because, uh, well, it's not necessary for kids. Uh, the grandparents might not be in a position to say this. And the heart is in particular jeopardy. Could we say we mean it from the gut? In another ad directed to parents, HHS selection of doctors state, we want you to know COVID vaccines are safe and effective. That's what we want you to know. My grandkids are vaccinated. What's not safe is getting COVID. Well, God, geez, let me know in the chat. What would you rather have at this point, COVID or vaccination? Is it ethical for the government to dubiously claim COVID vaccines are uniformly beneficial for kids and contracting COVID is far less safe than getting your child double vaccinated? No such randomised clinical evidence exists, suggesting the benefits of the COVID vaccine outweigh the harms in young cohorts with a nearly zero risk of serious outcomes. Moreover, is it ethical for either party for the federal government to advertise such medical misinformation on platforms allegedly committed to investigating the truth and holding the powerful accountable? The answer is no, it isn't. Particularly not during that misinformation, malinformation tirade, that time of censorship of true information, the closing down of debate. This is astonishing that this is happening. Isn't it? A new government ad on the HHS website now promotes the updated COVID vaccine. It falsely claims the new booster shot prevents long COVID and hospitalization when the only available evidence from Pfizer and Moderna are rat studies and a 50 person trial with an unexplained 2% rate of serious adverse events. They've got some rats and 50 people. You know, if you see like a poll on the news where it says 50% say that Joe Biden, you look at the bottom, it's like 1,500 people. You think, that's not enough to take seriously in the country of 200. 50 people and some rats. Okay, we're going to need 50 people. You'll do. And some rats. Sir, 2% of these rats and people are inexplicably dead. Well, nevertheless, it's a damn fine product, and I'd recommend it for my kids and grandkids. That's from the heart. <laughs> Sorry, the heart. Wait, give me. Oh, God, I'm not. So, with that stated, I took a little moment there, folks, and I do have a little something to show you. This is on the back end of my Substack. So, let's go to Miss, what is it, Janine Small? And check it out. Make sure this plays here. Here we go. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? 
And I really want straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it's entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. Oh, man, it's just it's so painful. It's like you just sit there and you say to yourself, how can these people exist? Like, where do they even come from? It's like it's like they're fictional characters out of a Dickens novel. You just you're like, wow. You know, and you know the way Dickens always had a knack for giving characters names that fit their personalities, that sort of thing. I think that definitely applies to this woman. You know, it's just amazing. It's it's absolutely bizarro, you know. And uh, so I want to go with just a couple seconds more of uh, what Russell has to say here, because I, th- I do think it's funny and it's valuable. And here we go. I'm feeling too good. Get me another rat. Rather than critically covering such propagandistic attempts to promote a longitudinally ineffective therapeutic with a one in 800 serious adverse event rate, major media outlets allowed the federal government to freely spread its misinformation on their platform. We can't continue to bring you this revelatory content without your consciousness and your continuing awakening about these guys. A little right. gang so we know is sticking you. Here. Uh, but so let me let me get your thoughts, everybody, because uh, I do think that when we start to get all this information, whether it's from Matt Taibbi or, uh, you know, we talk about DARPA being involved with uh, the, uh, the so-called vaccine uh advertisement and things like that uh i do think that the the vast population might want to i i just i you know i get frustrated because you know they they they're not going to watch they're not going to see it on fox very much and i'm certainly not going to see it on cnn let me call this one up to you because i was looking at this a while back this is actually quite amazing um, because we know that the, the Pentagon was involved thanks to Sasha Larapova. We know that the Pentagon was involved and we know that DARPA was involved. In fact, right here, let me just go with uh, this one here for you. Uh, DARPA program to offer near immediate doses of vaccine therapeutics and infectious diseases. Okay. And even the Washington Post was all delighted. Let me go up to this one during my search today in my history. Here's this one. How a secretive Pentagon agency seeded the ground for a rapid coronavirus cure. That was July 30th, 2020. So they were calling it a cure. They couldn't possibly have called it a cure. There's no way they could have called it a cure. And we knew all along that it was fake that they were telling us lies they could have reported on that but they didn't do it they added to it now we're discovering that in england the military the royal air force was spying on people to counter their criticism of the lockdowns even as now in a so-called investigation reachy reach can't turn over his information so they can spy on you whether you're in the united states or you're in england or anything like that they're going to have fisa 
spy on you some more. And now I want to go into another aspect of the surveillance. This one I just discovered. I tweeted about this. Some folks got to retweet it, and I appreciate that. Here it is. This comes from Grist. The EPA's new methane rule includes an innovative way to so-called stop super emitters. She's very excited about this. Ready for this? Where's that headline? Hold on a second. Let me bring it down there for you. They're going to stop the super emitters. Of what? Oh, yeah, that dangerous stuff that they can't prove is dangerous in any way whatsoever and continually manipulate data and then claim that they have to stop us from actually bettering our lives. And they're going to tax our use of of things like fossil fuels, so-called fossil fuels, petrochemicals. They're going to restrict our ability to travel. They're going to stop us from buying certain products like light bulbs. So here it is. Scientists with NASA's. So the way I just to give you the heads up on this one, everybody, the way that I put this out on Twitter slash X is I mentioned that this is just a new form of, of unwarranted surveillance. And it is it is predicated on a punishment regime of so-called regulations without trial where they can fine you for using certain things or doing certain things that they say are verboten. Okay, so here it is. Scientists with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory were flying a plane equipped with a visible infrared imaging spectrometer over an oil field in in California's San Joaquin Valley when they made a worrisome discovery. Oh, my goodness, no. Images produced by the device revealed a large plume of methane lingering in the air. How can that be? How can you ever get methane in a place where there actually is methane that is naturally produced? Oh, no. Yes, folks, we're talking about aerial surveillance to find out your energy output. That's what they're looking at. And it's not just planes where they're going. The plane made flights over the field for several more weeks. The plume shifted and changed shape with the blowing wind. Oh, but its presence persisted, indicating that its source could be a leak at the oil well. The scientists notified the operator. Soon the plume disappeared. The leak coming from a small fuel line had been repaired. Well, that's very nice, but it's not so nice. This is the essence of proactive measurement. Yes, folks, again, blocking you from engaging in an activity, even though no one has claimed harm in a common law pattern, no one has actually said in a tortious way, you harmed me or my property. The government is stepping in the way saying you cannot engage in this activity. You can't do this. You can't do that. Put on my little gloves here. It's cold in here. You can't do it. So this is what they're calling proactive measurement. This, according to Riley Duran, one of the scientists involved in the flights and now CEO. I wonder if they might start currying favor with the government of Carbon Mapper, told Grist. He said it's a good example of how you would want it to work. The leak detected in July 2020 was what's called a super emitter. Oh, there you go. Super genius. It's a super emitter of, you know, the gases that aren't causing catastrophic climate change. 
The term refers to events, again, tortious claim, prove harm, individuals, governments, and corporations are not individuals. The term refers to events in which a lot of methane is quickly expelled or to infrastructure that releases a disproportionately large amount of the evil gas, whatever gas it is. And they might pick other gases in the future that are also evil, but that's okay because John Kerry can handle that. Maybe he'll get up in his flying magic jet, his aeroplane, and maybe he'll get an extra seat. Because, of course, his ego is rather obese. In oil and gas production, events can occur on purpose as part of routine processes like venting. Yeah, or by accident due to faulty equipment or human error. However, they happen. Super emitters release a particularly insidious greenhouse gas. Although it only stays in the atmosphere for about a decade, methane is 28 more times more potent than carbon dioxide, which is not potent in this atmosphere. They they constantly try to make some sort of uh, syllogistic connection to the Venusian atmosphere when the Venusian atmosphere and environment doesn't utilize the carbon to help things grow. And it, uh, it is trapping heat in the atmosphere, even though we'll see a little something from Tony Heller. That is another indication that, of course, they are wrong. There's plenty more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Welcome back to Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith. You can find Liberty Conspiracy online Monday through Friday, starting at 6 o'clock Eastern Time on Rumble and Rockfin. You can join the chat there, or you can listen and watch at my Twitter feed, which is at Gard Goldsmith. That's G-A-R-D Goldsmith. And, of course, you can always find the show after the fact at Rockfin and at Rumble. And I really hope that you like what you're hearing and that you'll find us over there. And join us live or after the fact. With the United States guarding things, the 90% of the market that came from Afghanistan of opium-based products, turned into 97% of the world market. And now that the United States has left and the Taliban has taken over again, uh, Myanmar has taken over as the top poppy opium producer. And the Afghan uh, uh, production of it has dropped dramatically because the Taliban is stopping it. Now, I don't necessarily think that it's right for anybody to engage in aggressive violence against people like those folks who want to grow poppies in what would normally be a private marketplace. But I do think it's uh, illustrative of something that we've learned about the U.S. government, which is don't trust them and don't trust the military uh, colonialism of the United States. Let's find out about one of its colonial empire offshoots, Israel, and a little something from CNN this morning. Thank you, Daniel McAdams, for getting this out. He says, every bomb made in USA, every dollar to buy every bomb printed in USA, U.S. government is every bit as culpable as the Israeli government in this slaughter. And yet 
the United States government with its NDAA is still going to be channeling money all over the place. And let's see what the United States has wrought so far in Israel as they start to debate whether or not they're going to be sending another $14 billion to Israel. We have been trying for many, many weeks now to try to get into Gaza. It has been impossible uh, for us. Up until Tuesday, we were able to travel inside with some medical volunteers who are working at a newly established, newly built field hospital that has been set up by the United Arab Emirates in the southern part of Gaza. As you know, the southern part of Gaza is now very much the focus of Israel's military operations. That is exacerbating an already dire humanitarian catastrophe and leading to... And as I mentioned, folks, I mentioned it, and I'm going to mention it again. The minute that I heard the Israeli Defense Force people telling these people they were forcing out of their homes, just go to the south, go to the south, everything's cool, we're telling you to go to the south, I knew immediately that they were going to start bombing the south, and that's exactly what they have done. ...to record numbers of civilian casualties as we saw for ourselves. You don't have to search for tragedy in Gaza. It finds you on every street, strewn with trash and stagnant water, desolate and foreboding. So we've just crossed the border into southern Gaza. This is the first time we've actually been able to get into Gaza since October 7th, and we are now driving to a field hospital that has been set up by the UAE. Up till now, Israel and Egypt have made access for international journalists next to impossible, and you can see why. Since October 7th, the Israeli military says it has hit Gaza with more than 22,000 strikes. That by far surpasses anything we've seen in modern warfare in terms of intensity and ferocity. And we really, honestly, are just getting a glimpse of it here. Despite Israel's heavy bombardment, there are people out on the streets. A crowd outside a bakery. Where else can they go? Nowhere is safe in Gaza. Used to be a stadium. Arriving at the Emirati Field Hospital, we meet Dr. Abdullah Al-Nakbi. No sooner does our tour begin when... Our ambulance. And this is what you hear all the time now? Yes. At least 20 times a day. At least 20 times a day. Maybe more sometimes. Uh, I think we're used to it. One thing none of the doctors here have got used to is the number of children they are treating. The UN estimates that some two-thirds of those killed in this round of the conflict have been women and children. Eight-year-old Janan was lucky enough to survive a strike on her family home that crushed her femur but spared her immediate family. She says she's not in pain, so that's good. Her mother, Hiba, was out when it happened. I went to the hospital to look for her, she says, and I came here and I found her here. The doctors told me what happened with her and I made sure that she's okay. Thank God.
clearly a terrorist. Clearly that child, that little girl. Oh, I had to take care of her. Got to get her out of the way, you know. There's a lot more. I won't show it. Um, I uh, just wanted to say that, you know, CNN was covering this. And uh, got to acknowledge, because I'm often very critical of CNN, uh, the, the information is really valuable. There's a lot, a lot of very valuable information from a lot more independent journalists. But just to acknowledge what CNN was doing there. And again, to bring up the, uh, the fact that um, as U.S. sources are starting to pick up on this information, um, none of us should have to be deciding anything about this stuff. Right. It's just amazing. And yet, what do we see? We see people in Congress who, if we are critical of you know what, they pass that resolution to say that we can't be critical of the state of Israel because that's somehow anti-Semitic. And now they just did this. House passes resolution urging Harvard-MIT presidents to resign after tense campus anti-Semitism hearing. Yeah, this is that wonderful Stefanik. The House passed a resolution Wednesday condemning anti-Semitism on college campuses and calling on the presidents of Harvard and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology to resign after the school leaders testified in a hearing on the topic and offered answers the House resolution claimed were evasive and dismissive. The resolution passed 303 to 126. And, of course, we know that Liz McGill from the University of Pennsylvania resigned a few days ago. They're targeting Claudine Gay of Harvard. There's other stuff about her, whether she plagiarized or not. Got a little segment I want to show you about that. And MIT President Sally Kornbluth. And, of course, we have the bipartisan resolution was brought by GOP Conference Chair Representative, wink, wink, Elise Stefanik, Republican of New York, who helped question the school leaders, as well as House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Representative Representative Jared Moskowitz, uh, Scalise is a Republican of Louisiana, Jared Moskowitz, Democrat of Florida, and Josh Gottheimer, Democrat of New Jersey. Know thine enemy. So, let's take an opportunity now to remember what Glenn Greenwald had to say as they grilled the former head of the University of Pennsylvania. And again, we know that they were woke. We know that there's a lot of identitarianism going on on these campuses. It's cultural Marxism, right? And and we are seeing this massive amplification of exactly that among the conservatives who used to be critical of the identity politics and the cultural Marxism because it just didn't seem to serve their purposes when it was happening on college campuses. So if it was Black Lives Matter or Antifa or something like that, the LGBTQ stuff, that didn't serve their purposes. But when it's Israel, it serves their purposes. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder what contractors might promote the United States continuing to give weapons to Israel. I wonder what lobby might work really hard to give money to various politicians like we noted here, like Israel. 
That's right, even the speaker, nearly $100,000 from Israeli lobbyists. So Glenn Greenwald mentioned this a couple days ago. This is from the Washington Post's editorial department. I genuinely, genuinely appreciate candor and political discourse when people say what they really want and mean, like below. It's clarifying. Its key argument inside this was there's too much free speech on campus and censorship is needed to curb bigotry. Of course, of course. So now the conservatives and the rhinos, they're all in line with the Washington Post that they used to look at as being their enemy, but not anymore because it's about Israel. Universities must also consider their obligations to the broader society as they prepare young people to assume responsibilities in public life. And of course, Missing from all of this is anybody discussing the fact that these people who are trying to support Israel against the fascist, evil neo-Nazis who happen to maybe criticize a state policy of growth and encroachment into Gaza, of policing Gaza and corralling those people and bombing them, holding people without trial inside Israel for more than a year, that sort of thing. Um, and of course, receiving our money at the end of government guns, the the, uh, the business end of government guns. Uh, those people who are critical of that, well, those people who are critical of that, we we got to realize that we have to just shut up. And them telling us to shut up, or them going after university professors or presidents, I should say, uh, have calling them in front of Congress. To answer questions, that in no way harkens back to Nazism. That in no way harkens back to collectivism, statism, fascism. Has nothing to do with it. you got to get yourself on, on board here for the current America. America isn't fascist, even though Congresswomen like Ms. Stepanek call people up to demand that they answer questions like this. Let's just see how wonderfully calm and not grandiose and grandstanding Stepanek was. I haven't shown any of this stuff on the show, but I want to show you just how pressing and intense and rabid and showboating this woman was, never realizing the recursive feedback loop of exactly what she represented. The very thing that she claims she's against, which is bringing down the minority person, that sort of thing, is exactly what she exemplified because it is collectivism manifest writ large right here as she starts to press a person who should be completely free from having to answer questions from Congress. The caveat that I want to add to this is the really big lesson which is, as I mentioned yesterday, Harvard gets federal money. That's the area where Stefanik could have actually brought something up. But of course, she doesn't because she doesn't care about the government giving money to Harvard or any other college. She cares about trying to score political points that would be pro-Israel points and trying to manipulate that with a two-for-win for her to then attack a person that she sees was woke previously. In this case, Ms. McGill from University of Pennsylvania and others from MIT and Harvard. Let's watch. You've got to see this. I think you'll be amazed by this. Does M at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's 
code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? I have. So again, here's the thing. Uh, and again, this is losing the forest for the trees, right? Missing the forest for the trees. If people concentrate, and this is what I kept hearing on talk radio, if people concentrate just on the back and forth, the exchange of, is it or is it not? Is it or is it not? How about the manifestation, the display of fascism right in front of our faces? Stefanik is the face of fascism here. And any of these people from these colleges, they are receiving federal money. But Stefanik doesn't acknowledge that. Instead, what she does is engage in outright, full-on, nitro-fueled fascism, not even acknowledging that they might have some leverage over these schools to say, hey, you know what? We are acting in an unconstitutional way. We're giving you grants and all sorts of money. We shouldn't be doing that. We're going to stop that, regardless of your positions and whether we agree or disagree. That is wrong. It's not constitutional and it's not moral. But Stefanik doesn't buy into that level. She buys into being a fascist, thinking she can bully around what she sees as private institutions. She thinks that they're perfectly open doors for the government to come in and say, you've got to stop these people from, as we see, harassing other people. Where does the federal government get off doing that? Even if harassment was happening on Harvard or MIT or UPenn campuses, right? Even if it was, where does the United States government get off doing anything about that? It has no power to do that. Stefanik is absolutely just manifestly way off base here. And she really shows what a perfect example of, of the, the United States, that what you're seeing there on that screen that might as well have been in Berlin. This might have well have been a, a, a body in the Reichstag before it burned. This is what this is like. Here we go. Does M at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as, as harassment, if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at... Again, in a free world, how about this, Ms. Stefanik? In a free world, without any government, without even considering the Constitution, which still doesn't give you any power to go into that, but in a real free world, if you didn't want to go to those schools, you wouldn't have to. If somebody were at those schools and they found there was a breach of contract, that they weren't being protected by the private police agency, then they could sue them and go through a private, not tax-funded adjudication system where my neighbor wouldn't be forced to pay for it and they could be left out of all the disputes. But no, you've got to involve everybody, not even in the disputes at these schools, but disputes in Gaza and Israel where I'm never going to go. You've got to tie me into whether or not innocent kids like that girl in the hospital are going to be in front of the guns and the Israelis are going to freely blow her to pieces. 
because that's what you're tying us into with all of this nonsense rhetoric. Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews. Does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. There's more. Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill. Again, you see, you see how righteously indignant this woman is. She's not talking about Palestinians getting killed. She's not talking about any of that stuff. And regardless, we shouldn't have to talk about this stuff. If Again, if, if somebody wants to personally get interested in it, that's fine. But when you see that little girl in the hospital room on the CNN report, uh, they force us all to be making decisions about that. They force us all to have to be in that philosophy class where they line up the kids in the image and they say, okay, behind this is a killer of 100 people. Are you willing to kill those kids to go after the killer of 100 people? He could kill more. And and this is th- what's interesting about this. Let me let me just mention this to you is if you watch the uh, there's a, a series of videos. Uh, I can't even remember what they are. It's two brothers and they're terrible. And it's called some they're, they're on YouTube and they're they're partially funded by PBS, your tax money. And uh, it's something like, you know, short order philosophy or quick philosophy or whatever. And they I've mentioned this before. They got into this sort of consequentialist uh, idea where uh, they brought up Batman and they said, yeah, you know, and Batman's long struggles with the with the Joker. Uh, he uh, always has a, a strict no kill policy. So he apprehends the Joker and the Joker goes to jail, but the Joker always gets out and kills somebody. So shouldn't Batman just, you know, kill the Joker already? And in the end, they actually answer the question like, yeah, Batman should kill the Joker because Batman's partially responsible if he doesn't kill the Joker for all those other deaths. And you say, no, he's not. Batman is not responsible for any of those deaths if he doesn't kill the Joker. The Joker's responsible for those deaths. That's all. So if you are pulling the trigger, if you're supplying the weapons, if you're paying for the military industrial complex, if you're spouting garbage, useless rhetoric, if you are at that ritual and you are reciting their prayer book from their prayer book, you are culpable. And they want to make all of us culpable with a choice of you either pay or go to jail. So they're pointing their guns at everybody so they can continue to funnel guns to Israelis to kill people. And this woman is putting forward a smokescreen to try to say first that somehow the anti-Israeli sentiment is so, so bad on campuses. I haven't seen examples of it being that, that bad on campuses. And second, she's overlooking what the United States government has already been doing, funding the Israelis to slaughter the Palestinians and cage them up for decades there. And the the culpability of the United States for helping get Hamas to run the government in Gaza. I don't see Ms. Stefanik discussing that. Do you? 
So is your testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? And this is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Listen to that woman. It's like a threat. I mean, it's just amazing. And as we saw, they passed the resolution to call for these people at these institutions. They don't mention in the resolution, hey, the federal government is funding these people and so on and so forth. No, the resolution states Harvard President Claudine Gay and MIT President Sally Kornbluth, who made similar comments, should follow suit of McGill and resign. This is the U.S. government calling for these university heads to leave. These are politicians. These are literally arms of the government saying, hey, you are showing signs of anti-Semitism. We're bringing up echoes of Nazi Germany, the government crushing people's lives. So we in the government are telling you, you are not sufficiently sensitive about this and we are not acting like Nazis in any way. I mean, it's just like, holy smoke, man. Thanks for listening to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark warden now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com